For our scripture reading before the preaching of the word, let's turn to Psalm 111. This is, this is a glorious psalm of how we ought to give thanks and praise unto God, and who is the, the only one that is deserving of that praise and worship. Psalm 111, hear the word of the Lord. Verse 1, praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart in the company of the upright and in the assembly. Great are the works of the Lord. They are studied by all who delight in them. Splendid and majestic is his work, and his righteousness endures forever. He has made his wonders to be remembered. The Lord is gracious and compassionate. He has given food to those who fear him. He will remember his covenant forever. He has made known to his people the power of his works in giving them the heritage of the nations. The works of his hands are truth and justice. All his precepts are sure. They are upright forever and ever. They are performed in truth and uprightness. He has sent redemption to his people. He has ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. Let's pray. We ask you, O Father, that you would help us to give you the praise, the adoration, and the thanks with a whole and sincere heart. Help us, we pray, by your Holy Spirit, that you would work in our hearts and minds by your Holy Word and by your Spirit, that you would turn us away from ourselves and away from sin and turn us to embrace and thank And worship you, the God of all glory. For we ask these things in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen. What does it mean if someone asks you about giving wholehearted thanks and praise to God? Um, You might ask yourself, I know that the psalm here talks about that in verse 1. It says, praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. You might ask yourself, well, how many days of my life have I done that? Given wholehearted praise to God. We'll look a little bit at this, uh, this psalm and what it teaches about this call of us to give God such praise. As we look at this uh, scripture this morning, uh, we're not sure um, who wrote this. We don't, we don't know who the author is. Um, I used to have a professor, if they didn't have a title of the, of the author, he used to always assume it was David. But we don't know exactly who wrote this particular psalm. But whoever wrote it taught us that we are to strive after. It is to be our life's calling to give God wholehearted praise, to worship him with our whole heart. And again, we'll look at that some more in a little while. As we look at today's text, we notice that God calls you to give him wholehearted praise and thanks. We'll look at the reasons why, first, uh, why you are to thank and praise God, and then 
Later on in today's psalm, we'll see how he teaches us to give God that wholehearted praise and thanks, how you are to thank and praise God. So let's look at first why you are to thank and praise God. This psalm is full of many blessed, glorious reasons why you are to give God that wholehearted thanks and praise. It says that he is splendid and majestic in his works, according to verse 3. Verse 4a says, He has made his wonders to be remembered. Now, the signs and wonders that happened in Exodus thousands of years ago are still remembered. They will never be forgotten. It's something that is burned into the memory of all of the people of God who hold to this holy book. But his deliverance in Christ, which is a far greater and more important deliverance, will never be forgotten either. There are a lot of events that happen in the world, a lot of events that happen in history. There are a lot of religious leaders. There are a lot of political leaders as well. They will be forgotten. Jesus Christ and the miraculous, mighty signs and wonders of God will never be forgotten. His holy saints of old who've embraced him and loved him and served him, the mighty works that he's wrought through them, the blessed mother Mary who bore a virgin child who was, who was conceived by the power of the Holy Ghost, these mighty works of God will never be forgotten. And what's even more important is that even in glory, when we go to worship God in heaven, and then later on in a new heavens and new earth, we will reminisce, we will reminisce, we will remember, we will talk about the glorious works of God through all eternity. It's not something that we're just going to do here on earth, but they shall be remembered for all eternity. Another reason why we give him praise, it says, because he provides for his people, according to verse 5a. He has given food to those who fear him. Now, it mentions only food, but you know, we know that God has given food and clothing, shelter. He's given provision. He's helped us. He's given us work to do with our hands, to provide for our families. Um, this morning, as we celebrate uh, Mother's Day, one of the things that we celebrate is that God has nurtured and cared for us even through giving us of parents and especially mothers. As we close today's sermon, one of the, the hymns that we'll sing is, Now thank we all our God. Now thank we all our God with heart and hands and voices who wondrous things hath done in whom his world rejoices who from our mother's arms hath blessed us on our way with countless gifts of love and still is ours today. Another way and reason of God's splendid and majestic works that he's done, that we remember him, is that in verse 6, he says that he wants Israel to remember how they were given the promised land. In verse 6, look there. He has made known to his people the power of his works in giving them the heritage of the nations. Now, this Hebrew word heritage, I, I was looking at the etymology of the word, and it, 
it actually heritage comes from an old French word and it's meant as something that which was inherited a heritage is something that it was inherited now I, I prefer the word inheritance here and here's why in the in the very majority of modern understanding heritage doesn't refer to what one inherits but more of a culture or a I guess an upbringing you could say that person has a Cajun heritage a German Belgium French Spanish heritage they they've uh, they've inherited a culture you could say a heritage but very few people might look tell you and say look at the look at this glorious home that I, I inherited from my my grandparents or whatever this is a glorious heritage nobody talks that way a heritage would be more of a culture but the things that one inherits as far as properties or fields or farm people talk talk about that as being an inheritance so i think it's a little bit more it's a little bit uh, clear if we use what the word that the esv english standard version has as inheritance he has made known to his people the power of his works in giving them the inheritance of the nations. That inheritance that was supposed to be given to their children was then given unto Israel. And that's talked about in uh, Joshua 24.13. It's printed there in your outline. Again, the Jews were strictly forbidden to inherit the culture of the, or the ways of the nations. But the psalmist in verse 6 clearly has in mind the physical wealth of the nations as an inheritance. Um, Joshua twenty four thirteen says, I gave you a land on which you had not labored, and cities which you had not built, and you lived in them. You're eating of vineyards and olive groves, which you did not plant. So again, one of the, the mighty works, the splendid mighty works, is how God enabled his people to inherit a promised land, how they were able to conquer cities by mighty works and even nations far greater in number and far greater in, in physical strength than themselves by the power of God. Another splendid and majestic work is God's giving his law. It's mentioned there in verses 7 and 8. The works of his hands are truth and justice. All his precepts, you could say all his commandments, are sure they are upheld forever and ever. And Jesus said the same thing, didn't he? He said not one, not one jot or tittle of his law would pass away. But Jesus came to fulfill the ceremonial law and the judicial law of Jerusalem, that law that was given unto the, the, the people of, of the, the law of the land or the law of the government, that's passed away, except for what we call the general equity, uh, following the, the principles of it. But the moral law, God's holy commandments that we read earlier from Deuteronomy, those abide forever. Until the return of Christ, that law continues to abide forever and ever. Another splendid thing mentioned in today's text in Psalm um, 111, it teaches that you are to praise God for his person. Look at the second half of verse 3. 
It's because His righteousness endures forever. He is the Holy and righteous one who is remains righteous for all eternity. The second half of verse 4, the Lord is gracious and compassionate. And also in his person, he is a promise-keeping God according to the second half of verse 5. He will remember his covenant forever. Now, covenant you could say is like a promise. Sometimes we as mankind, women, men and children, we break our promises. But when God makes a covenant promise, He keeps that promise even unto the end. He is faithful and sure, and His covenant promises can be trusted because He remembers His covenant and keeps His covenant promises. We are to thank God and praise God because of His covenant redemption. Look at verse 9. He has sent redemption to his people. He has ordained his covenant forever. Holy and awesome is his name. Now the psalmist here only saw Jesus Christ, who was still yet to come, in types and shadows. He looked forward to the Messiah. The Jews of old were saved because they looked forward to the Messiah. But we look back and we see the fullness of, of the Messiah and the covenant promises of God fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. When they talked about the Passover, they saw the blood put over the door, the doorways, over the lintel of the door, and that the angel of death passed by. That was a type or a figure of who uh, the Messiah would one day be. He was the Messiah came as that Lamb of God, where when the blood is is upon everyone who professes faith in Christ, they will not be harmed in the wrath to come. God will pass by and he will save them through that perfect blood of that flawless, sinless lamb who was shed for sinners such as you and I. His covenant redemption is holy and awesome and complete and full in Jesus Christ. Those are all many reasons in this psalm why we ought to give God wholehearted thanks and praise. Now, the the psalm goes on to tell us how. How we are to thank God and praise Him. Verse 1, it says, Praise the Lord. I will give thanks to the Lord with all my heart. That's a wholehearted praise that we are to imitate by the psalmist. Now, one way that we can look at this passage is that God does not want us to just go through the motions. Well, I'm here because someone wants me to be here. He wants us to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Uh, I cited this passage in Matthew 15, 8 and 9. Jesus here is citing the words of Isaiah, who said, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. Now, in modern America, there are many ways that we could point back at the Pharisees and say, look at those people teaching such ridiculous doctrines of men. Well, this is not just something for the Pharisees. This is a passage for us as well. Uh, When confronted with Scripture we have to question ourselves whether or not we make a God of our imaginations. I one time met a lady 
and I talked to her about some passages of Scripture. And her comment was, the God that I worship is not like that. Well, what God does she worship? Well, obviously, if, if she's saying that I'm not going to let this book define who the God that I worship is, then she's, she's made a God of her own imagination. And that is transgressing the first commandment, that we are to have no other gods before him. When we want to worship God with wholehearted thanks and praise, we have to make sure that we let this book define for us who God is and how we are to please him. Not our own opinions, not our own judgments, not our own thoughts, but let this book help us to make every thought captive for the obedience of Christ. That's our calling as Christians. We are to thank and praise God in private worship, yet in this passage it, it says that we are especially to worship God in corporate worship, according to the end of verse 1. Wholehearted praise is to be given to God in the company of the upright and in the assembly. Now, you, you might ask yourself, well, is this two different things, the company of the upright and in the assembly? Uh, Hebrew has a habit of sometimes repeating the same thing in two different ways. So it's really talking about the same. The company of the upright is the assembly of the saints, you could say. Uh, some people call themselves Christians, and they, they'll say, well, my, my worship is between me and God, and I worship Him the way I want. Um, but if you are called to be a Christian, yet you repeatedly avoid corporate worship or worship in, among the saints then that is something that is a sin and needs to be repented of. True disciples who seek to give God wholehearted praise and worship in spirit and truth, they don't forsake the gathering of the saints together, as is the habit of some. If you want to look at that later, that's from Hebrews 10.25. Verse 2 goes on to say that, Great are the works of the Lord. They are studied by all who delight in them. So that's another evidence, a way, or another reason, or another way that we can give God wholehearted thanks and praise. If we love Him, we give Him the thanks and praise by studying all of the great works of the Lord. You study those things if you delight in them. It's not to be drudgery. It should be a delight for us to study and to look at the wonderful things that God has done for us through Jesus Christ. Um, if you're thankful for what he's done, you should study his great works. Um, this is a call, again, for study of Scripture. In family devotions, not just a time for prayer, but it's a time for studying the Word. Um, there have been so many gracious, blessed works of God that were written in this a psalm that the psalmist was aware of. But keep in mind, the glorious works that he studied was before even a lot of covenant history. We have a great, much greater, glorious wealth of the works of God with which we are to study, found in the Gospels and the rest of the New Testament, a great and blessed history of redemption. So in response to God's person and work, which includes his covenant redemption. It says here that you are to fear him. Psalm um, 
111 verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Now, it's interesting that this phrase, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, is repeated verbatim in two of the Proverbs, Proverbs 1-7 and Proverbs 9-10. And if something in Scripture is repeated multiple times, I think it's because God wants us to pay close attention because it's vital. It's important that we have this fear of the Lord. Let's read that verse 10 in, in complete, uh, the complete verse. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. Now, out of most of the popular translations that I look at, the only one that does not have the words his commandments is the English Standard Version. If you look at whatever version you have, the King James, the New American Standard, um, the New King James, uh, these all have his words, his commandments in italics. And the reason is because those words, they are not supplied. I mean, they are supplied. They're, they're not in the, the Hebrew. The, the words, his commandments, do not occur in the Hebrew. Now, the ESV, if you, ha- if you have that one, it's the most accurate translation of verse 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Very faithful, accurate translation. Think of that. Practicing the fear of the Lord. I think it's an intriguing translation. And something that you might ask. I've never been asked this, but maybe if you ask someone if they're a Christian, do you practice the fear of the Lord? I don't know. (laughs) I think it's interesting. But uh, I want us to get around to see why so many translations love to add these words, His commandments. Um, how do you define the fear of the Lord in the first place? How do you exercise the fear of the Lord in the first place? And for here, I'm, I added in Job 28, uh, 28. Job 28, 28. It says, um, it gives us a good explanation of how we are to have a fear of the Lord. Um, Behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, to depart from evil is understanding. It could say the fear of the Lord is demonstrated by those who seek to depart from evil. Well, another synonym for evil is sin. How do we depart from evil or how do we even know what sin or evil is except by the law of God? Westminster Shorter Catechism 14 says, sin is any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. So the, the, the law of God, which we read earlier, that tells us what sin is. That tells us what evil is. That tells us what we are to flee. So it makes sense, this logical conclusion of why they added these words, his commandments, because that's the way in which we f- show that we have a fear of the Lord, by fleeing evil, by fleeing sin as revealed in his commandments. Again, as we look at today's um, psalm, God calls each of you to give him wholehearted praise. You are to thank God and praise God for the wonderful things that has been revealed to you in Holy Scripture. His splendid and majestic works, they are worthy to be remembered. 
They are given, he has given us food and provision of all sorts. He's cared for us by our family. He's given his providential hand in dealing with us. God is upright in giving us his holy law that will abide forever. And that his person is something um, that we ought to remember and why we praise and thank him. He is righteous, gracious, compassionate, and full of mercy. That's why we love him and praise him. It tells you how you are to give him thanks and praise. It says, I will give to the Lord thanks with all my heart. Um, If we are judged, though, on the basis of giving God thanks and praise with our entire heart, we're in trouble. Because this is one of those commandments that we have not kept. We are to love the Lord our God with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. That's something that we have not kept. That's a commandment that shows that we sin daily in thought, word, and deed. And we'll always have a desperate need of forgiveness. And we'll always have a desperate need for the blood of Christ. No one can perfectly keep and obey the law of God. And no one can perfectly love him with the whole heart. But this is something that we are to endeavor after. It is to be our life's calling and our life's desire to conform our hearts and minds and lives more and more into the image of Christ. That is who we are to be as Christians. If you want to do that, study his precepts that demonstrate his righteousness, that he is an upright, holy God. Study redemptive history. His mighty works are to be studied by all those who delight in him, and that's your calling as a Christian as well. Fear him. If you fear him, you will depart from evil and you will be wise. If you fear him, you will seek to love and obey him and flee from evil and flee from sin. Let's pray. We thank you, our blessed Lord, that you have given us uh, your holy word and you have given us these great and many wonderful, blessed reasons why we are to worship you and give you wholehearted praise and thanks. For you are a mighty and awesome, loving, merciful, righteous, and holy God. We thank you that you are a God who keeps his promises and that those promises that you have given unto us for redemption and salvation are yes and amen through Jesus Christ our Lord. We pray, O Father, that you would help us to give you the praise and the honor, for you are worthy of all honor and praise. Oh God, help us, we pray, to grow in our faith, to grow in this wonderful privilege to be your children, and help us, we pray, by your word and spirit to apply this holy scripture, and help us, we pray, to conform our minds and hearts unto your word and embrace that Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, by salvation. For we ask these things in Christ's name, amen. For our hymn of response, let's sing together 181. Now thank we all our God. Let's stand together and sing 181. <laughs>